1972, Bill Withers released his biggest hit, Lean On Me. Most of us remember that song. In fact, probably most of us have recognized some of the lyrics. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Please, swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, for no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. Just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. This is an anthem of the fact that sometimes we need to rely on other people. Sometimes we need help. And yet, Bill Withers recognized that most of us have a certain amount of pride, and we don't like to rely on other people. We don't like to lean on people. We want to portray to everyone that we can do it on our own. We've pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. We've been able to white-knuckle our way through, and, and we can do it, and, and we don't need anything or anyone or anybody. And yet the reality is that we do. We all need someone to lean on. And that someone is God. Whether Mr. Withers recognized that or not, we need to understand that there's not sometimes in our lives, there's all the time in our lives, we need to rely on somebody. Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 just pretty well spells it out. It says that in God we live and move, and have our very being. That means without God, we couldn't live, or move, or exist. If we can't even live, or move, or exist without God, if we have to lean on Him for just our very existence, what does that mean about everything else in life? We need to rely on God. I think we find a great example of this concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. By the way, that's 2 Corinthians. If I start saying 1 Corinthians, as apparently I did all morning long with 1 Kings, I, I don't know what was going on there, but it is for 2 Corinthians. We do have one passage in 1 Corinthians tonight, but for the most part, we're coming from 2 Corinthians chapter, 10, chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. Just having a tough day, I guess. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognized that he needed to rely on God. He recognized that he needed to lean on God for strength. 
and we need to do so as well. From this passage, I think we can find four keys about that reliance or that leaning on God that I hope to share with you tonight. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up because you are awesome and powerful. You are the great creator. You are the worthy God. You are holy and we are unrighteous. Father, we are so thankful that you have condescended to be with us and allow us to come into your presence that we might praise you and honor you and make petitions of you and confess our sins to you, that you've allowed us to come into your presence that we might sing praises to you. We're thankful that you allow us to be a part of your plan, that we might edify one another and strengthen one another and draw people into your family. Father, we're thankful that you have strengthened us to accomplish your work. Help us to realize how weak we are, Father, and to realize what you've done for us and the grace that you've extended. Help us to be able to look at even the hardships that we face and find your grace there. Father, we pray that you would help us to submit to you every day so that your strength can work through us, that your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we praise you because you are worthy of praise. We love you because you have first loved us. And we ask that you forgive us. Our sins are ever before us. We have trampled underfoot your Son, and because of Him, He was put up on the cross. And yet, it was that very death that we caused that you used to provide us with forgiveness, and we are so sorry for our sins. Father, we cannot say enough about it. But we ask for your forgiveness, and we thank you for it. And we ask that you strengthen us to pursue righteousness and flee from immorality, and help us to be your servants, lights to this world, so that you might be glorified. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray, amen. <coughs> Relying on God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, I think we find four keys that help us understand what it means to rely or lean on God. The very first key I believe we find in this passage is that if we're going to rely on God, if we're going to lean on God, we must first recognize our personal weakness. You know, we actually endure a very interesting paradox. If I were to come up to you, and, and this has happened in classes, or this might happen in a job interview, or in, in numerous situations where this kind of thing happens, somebody comes up to you and says, listen, I'd like for you to tell me your strengths. And usually when somebody does that, what do we do? Very few of us say, oh, man, I'm really good at this. Or I'm re Most of us kind of hem and haul around because we're afraid if we start talking about our strengths that we're being arrogant and conceited and proud. And, and so we just kind of hem and haul around and uh, we don't really want to talk about that. And yet, most of us have the idea that we are strong enough or we think that we should be strong enough to make it through this life on our own. And so, while we're modest enough to refuse to to blow our own horn and to toot out our own strengths on our horn. We'll just sit there and hem and haul around, and yet inside, very few of us recognize the weakness that we really have. But Paul was quite different. Paul said that he would boast about his weaknesses in verse 9. In verse 10, he said, I am content with weaknesses. Even back up into verse 5, before the text that we're reading, he said, on behalf of this man I'll boast, but on my own behalf I'll not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, just before this, Paul had talked about a man who had gone into third heavens, who had been in paradise. It says in 
beginning at verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Then I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And I recognize that Paul, in this context, speaks of this person as if it is someone else. But considering the fact that he immediately moves in to his own personal need to be humbled, I think that he's really speaking tongue-in-cheek about himself. And so Paul had been able to experience some amazing things, some great things, up into the third heaven, called up into paradise, having seen and heard things that man is not able to utter. And yet what good would it do Paul to boast about those things? Was it by Paul's strength that he was called up into the third heaven? Was it because Paul was somehow able to bring himself into paradise that it had happened? Even if you don't think that those verses are about Paul himself, think about the great things that we're certain Paul did. Healing the blind and the sick. And Paul, raising the dead, Eutychus. And yet what good would it have done Paul to boast about those things? Did those things happen because of Paul? Because Paul somehow was inherent with power? That Paul was in control of some amazing power? No. Rather, it was God using Paul as an instrument, as a tool, that allowed those things to happen. It would do Paul no good to boast of those things because those things didn't demonstrate Paul's strength. What those things demonstrated is really how amazing it was that God would work through someone as weak as Paul. And therefore, Paul says, I'm not going to boast about those things. If I'm boasting about myself, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Some of your translations say he was well pleased with weaknesses. He wasn't going to try to hide it. He was going to try to, uh, to push it aside, and he was content with them. He was happy with them. Because he recognized, when I am weak, then I am strong. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul recognized, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But he understood this. As long as I'm trying to rely on my own strength, I can't do anything. (laughs) We've got to come face to face with that passage in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 that we just read moments ago. Through him, we live and move and have our very being. Paul understood that. I can't even move without God. Why would I rely on my own strength when it comes to spiritual things? When I am weak, then I am strong. I think one of the greatest examples of that is Moses. Remember when Moses thought that everyone would understand, according to Acts 7.25, Moses thought that everyone would understand that God was using him to be the deliverance for Israel? What happened? People didn't understand, and Moses went fleeing off into the wilderness 40 years with his tail stuck between his legs, becoming a shepherd which was an abomination to his upbringing in the Egyptian court. But in Exodus chapter 3, when God came to him 40 years later, what kind of man was he? Oh, I can't do that. Listen, I'm not the man. You've got the wrong man. I'm too weak. I I can't do this. I can't talk. What if they ask this? What if they should say this? See, when he had become aware of his weakness, 
then God was able to use him. Then he was strong. We must come face to face with our own weaknesses. Through Him we live and move and have our very being. As we've already said during the series, it's His air that we breathe. It's His strength that we use to get out of bed every morning. He's the one, according to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, that continues the cycle of life that allows us to continue on living. If we wish to accomplish anything, we must recognize our weakness so that we will rely on His strength. Look in Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. In Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Paul points out that if we want to accomplish anything, we've got to be strengthened in our inner being by the Spirit. Christ must dwell in us, that we might have strength to comprehend. It is by the power of God working in us that He accomplishes far more beyond all that we ask or think. If we are going to rely on God, the very first key is we have to realize how unreliable we are. How weak we are. We have to begin to realize that not for the grace of God, nothing, nothing, that I've done would have been accomplished. Period. How much more do we need to rely on God if we're going to do the great things of overcoming the tempter, of being victorious in Christ? Secondly, we need to recognize our own weaknesses. Secondly, we need to acknowledge the grace of God. Paul said three times, I asked God to remove the thorn, and He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. God directed Paul to His grace. And we need to acknowledge God's grace in our lives. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge God. That is, in everything that you do, you need to acknowledge God's involvement. We need to be able to say thanks to God for everything that we've accomplished. We need to be able to look and say, I know that I wouldn't have been able to do this if it hadn't been for God. It's by God's grace that I've gotten this far. I, I'm now 34. That's only happened because of God's grace. God at any time could have removed His grace from my life and it would have been over. I was able to get up this morning. That's because of the grace of God. Now see, the problem is we don't always see that. Because of the way God has made the world, 
We don't see that. We have a very naturalistic mindset. It's, it's because of these muscles and, and we know how the lungs work and how the heart works and how the brain works and, and we, we don't see God's involvement in all that. But we need to understand what would happen if God just pulled his hand back from this world? What would happen? If God completely separated himself from us, what would happen to us? What would these bodies be able to accomplish? We need to acknowledge the grace of God in our lives. As one illustration, this, this is one of the reasons that, that we need to give thanks for the food that we eat. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it talks about those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. Paul went on in 1 Timothy 4, 4 to say, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I know we sometimes look and say, wait a minute, I was the one that did the work. I was the one that went into work every morning, stayed late and worked overtime. I was the one that had to balance the books. I was the one that had to make the budget. I was the one that had to, to plan out the, the, the menu. I was the one who did all of that. But how? We've already quoted Matthew 5.45 as God is the one who causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall. What if he took that back? How much food would we have after a while? How much could we do? And so we give thanks to God, acknowledging his grace in our lives. I couldn't do this. We need to acknowledge God's grace. I think there's a second side of this. When he says, my grace is sufficient for you, I think another point that God is making to Paul is the grace that you have already received is enough. The grace that I extend to you is all that you need. What God is really telling Paul is, don't be so distracted by the blessings that I haven't given you that you forget the blessings I have. How easy it is to get in our lives and be upset about what hasn't happened. About the health that we don't have or about the blessings or the gifts that God hasn't given us. Especially when we start comparing ourselves to other people. But what God's telling Paul is, you need to count your blessings. You need to think about what I have done. The grace that I have extended to you is sufficient for you. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul lists some of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. 
In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He says that we have redemption. We have adoption. We have forgiveness. He gave us His will. Paul delineates all of these blessings that we have in Christ. Does God owe us any more? Is there any more grace that we can come before the throne of God and demand from Him as though He owes us? Did He even owe us this much? And what Paul explains to us, what God explained to Paul, the grace that God has extended is sufficient. Don't be, distro- don't be so distracted by the blessings that we haven't received that we neglect the blessings we have received. Recognize your weaknesses and acknowledge the amazing grace of God in your life. I think there's another aspect of this issue of grace and it actually leads to our third point. And that is, that in addition to recognizing our personal weakness, in addition to acknowledging God's grace in our life, we need to be able to recognize the grace in the thorns. Find God's grace even in the thorns. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Perhaps it was some kind of disease or maybe some physical limitation or some trial and struggle that he was facing. We, we don't know what it was, but the text does tell us that it was a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. And we do know that Paul asked for it to be removed three times. And Paul didn't like it. It wasn't a pleasant thing. It was something that Paul repeatedly asked God to get rid of. And it was something that Satan was using against him. I think that's the first thing we need to recognize about this. That these thorns that we face, whatever they may be, we need to understand that Satan does have plans for them. You see, Satan understands that he can't turn God away from us. And so what he's trying to do is turn us away from God. And he will use thorns to turn us away from God. He'll use those thorns to drive a wedge so that we'll become upset with God and turn our back on it. But after this whole exchange, Paul was able to understand that there was more to this than a messenger from Satan. God was actually using this. God's grace was involved in allowing this to stay. Paul himself said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the end of verse 7, that this thing happened because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul recognized that the very thorn Satan was using to try to turn him away from God, God could use to draw him closer. He understood that because of going into the third heaven, because of going into paradise, because of the miracles, it would be very easy for him to become puffed up and conceited. And how easy it would be for him then to become self-satisfied and self-righteous 
and be like that Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 and verse 11. God, I thank you that I am so wonderful. I'm not like all these other people because look at all these things that I've done and, and at least I'm not like them. And becoming self-righteous, he'd have been lost. But he was able to see the grace of God even in the thorn. What kind of thorns are you facing? Financial trouble? Debt? Taxes? Unemployment? Sickness? Ill health? Something chronic? The agony of fallen children? Enemies at work or at school? Maybe it's a temptation that you struggle with. What, what kind of thorn are you facing? What we have to learn is to find God's silver lining to Satan's storm clouds. What is it that we can learn from what we're going through? Where is God's grace in this? It's there. If nothing else, if nothing else, these thorns remind us that we can't do it on our own. We don't often think of hardships as a blessing, but do you remember what James said about it in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2? James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We need to find God's grace, even in the thorn. And finally, we need to recognize our personal weakness. We need to acknowledge God's grace. We need to find God's grace even in the thorns. Finally, we need to allow God's strength to work through us. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we need to see within these verses the choice of Paul. God was challenging Paul, and it was up to Paul whether or not he would really allow God's grace to be sufficient, or if he would turn his back on God and pursue him. We need to be strengthened by God if we're going to accomplish anything. But please understand that Paul in this passage didn't sit back and say, well, God, I'm weak. What I'm going to do now is I'm just going to sit back and twiddle my thumbs. You take care of everything. What he's really saying is, God, I'm weak. I can't do anything. So I'm just going to do what you want. And let you work through me. See, having God's strength is actually a choice. God's not going to come over us and take over us against our will. We have to allow God's grace to be sufficient for us. We have to choose sufficiency in God. We have to choose submission to God. That's really what Paul was pointing out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. When he said that I discipline my body, some say I buffet my body daily and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was having to make that choice every day. It wasn't a one-time thing and now God takes over and now it's the strength of God running everything. It's a daily choice. 
that I'm not strong enough. I can't accomplish this. I can't overcome. So God, I'm just going to do what you want today. It's your day for me to live your way. That's what Paul was saying here. And I recognize that that God can use people against their will. That's how powerful God is. And I have no doubt that God uses people sometimes like he did. I believe it's about John chapter 11 with Caiaphas who, who offered that prophecy, but he didn't realize that he was offering a prophecy. I, I know that God can do that. I, I'm not denying that. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that God uses everybody. Like this great poster on demotivators.com I saw. He said, you know, the purpose of your life may simply be to serve as a warning to everybody else. I recognize that God might do that, and He uses everybody in that way at times. But if we want God to use us to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, if we want the Spirit to strengthen us in our inner being, if we want Christ to be in us and strengthen us so that we might understand and comprehend the depth and breadth and height of God's surpassing love, then we have to choose to submit to Him and thereby allow His strength to be in us. Until we can say along with Paul what he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Until we can say with Paul that that's how I'm living every day. That today that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to crucify myself and I'm just going to let Jesus live through me by submitting to His will. Until then, we're not relying on God. But you know, this pulls us full circle, doesn't it? Because until we realize how weak we are, we're not going to do that. And so that leaves us with the question. Upon whom are you relying? When I think about this concept of leaning on God, the picture that I have in my mind is like that of a person who is in a wheelchair. Their legs have atrophied due to disuse. And now they're starting to get up and try to walk. And unless there's somebody there for them to lean on, they have no strength in their legs. But as they realize how weak they are and will allow themselves to be propped up on somebody else, as they recognize that, then the strength starts to grow. Who are you relying on? 